The Black and Gold Banneret Podcast is brought to you by the Unger Real Estate Group, powered by EXP Realty, proudly serving Orange, Seminole, and Lake Counties. Call 407-790-9957 or visit WeSellOrlando.net. What's happening tonight, fans? Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. My name is Jeff Sharon, along with Brian Murphy. Eric Lopez will be joining us uh, a little bit later. And uh, Brian, now that basketball is done, it's like, what's happened all of a sudden? It's like everything kind of dropped out, and, and now we just focus on baseball and softball. And obviously, like you know, golf, track, and field will be updating on those things. But it, it feels like, you know, I always like in this too, like, you're flying in an airplane and it's cloudy and there's a storm and you're getting blown about and you know the plane's dropping 50 feet and moving left 25 feet and right 30 feet and then all of a sudden Mm -hmm. the clouds part and then you're in this like beautiful sunshine there's some clouds on the outside but it's nice and sunshiny out there all of a sudden now that the spring sports are in full swing yes and the weather's still beautiful i mean here in Orlando, every day where the relative humidity isn't a thousand and it's not ninety by eight a.m. Uh, at this point <laughs> in the year, day. it's really, it's really a day to treasure. Especially now at March twenty eighth, like I'm waiting, like I'm waiting for like April first, just hit me right in the head. Uh, and, you know, when I walk outside and be like, "Yep, summer's here," but right now it's a good time to be alive in Orlando. <laughs> Sunday, man, we have uh, a Final Four this weekend. It's like now it's that time of year, so. Uh, we have yeah. lots to talk about. All, uh, uh, nonetheless, we're going to kick it off with baseball. Um, coming off their uh, uh, opening uh, series against conference opening series against East Carolina, uh, we're, uh, Lopez is going to join us a little bit later to talk uh, softball as they are on the road uh, right now. He's actually with the team, and uh, we'll talk a little football as well later on in the show with, among the three of us. And uh, I have a, I just get, I have a question that I want to ask you guys that. That I'm going to save it for now. I'm not going to tell anybody, but I think everyone will find that interesting. So, Shaking in my boots. You should be. Um, <laughs> so uh, once again, a reminder, everyone, that we are at blackandgoldbanneret.com. Uh, hit us up at uh, UCF underscore banneret on Twitter and facebook.com slash blackandgoldbanneret. You can follow me at Jeff underscore Sharon on Twitter. You can follow Brian at Spokes underscore Murphy. You can follow Eric at Eric Lopez Elo. And uh, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast if you don't already on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and TuneIn, wherever fine podcasts are distributed for absolutely free. Um, All right, let's dive in. Baseball. So uh, the conference opening weekend against East Carolina started great. Uh, ECU came in ranked number number, uh, as high as number 18. Uh, Mm -hmm. Friday night. 9-1 Nine to one victory for UCF, and they looked strong doing it. Um, but then uh, they get bombed in the next two games uh, on Saturday and Sunday by a combined score of twenty-three to ten, uh, and uh, and end up losing two out of three at home in their in the conference opening set to ECU. So the Knights are uh, one and two in the league, eighteen and eight overall. ECU is at eighteen and five overall. Two and one in the league. Houston swept their opening conference series with uh, Memphis, um, uh, so they're all alone at first after this first conference weekend. Um, uh, do I do we dare like take the plastic cover off the panic button right now after this? 
I know this. No. I know that you laugh at this because it's a silly question, but but I mean, <laughs> ECU is a good team, right? Yes. Yes. So uh, no, they are they are very good, and uh, you know I think what hurts for UCF is okay. So they lost a couple games at Florida State, but understand saying that playing midweek games on the road against a top ten team is not easy. Uh, and they were competitive in in those games. They should have. They really should have at least won one of those games. Probably the first one. Um, but you know what was funny is not funny, but kind of a trend with this team is that they've sort of been let down by their sort of what we call clutch hitting or hitting with runners in scoring position. Um, that was a problem against FSU, and it was a problem against ECU. But I, I think these ECU losses hurt a little more, not just because it's it's conference. But these were games in which UCF led in both in the middle innings. Yeah, uh, they were they were up three nothing in the sixth on ECU on Saturday, and then their defense completely unraveled uh, in a really let's be honest a disgusting display of defense. It was bad, uh, and it also led to so a twelve what was a three nothing lead turned into a twelve four defeat on Saturday. Eleven of those twelve runs given up by UCF were unearned. Mm. Uh, which which Greg Lovelady That's said. That's got to be a record or something, man. I've never I mean, I've never seen th- seen that number of unearned runs in a game. I would imagine it being college baseball, you'd probably see it somewhere. I mean, Greg Lovelady did say that's probably never happened in the history of the game. I'm sure it has because baseball, like you know this, Jeff. College baseball is baseball. weird. <laughs> yeah. Baseball is weird full stop. Like, like at baseball at any level is just weird and it's got a bunch of vagaries and – and it just you never know. It's all random stuff. So I'm I'm sure it's happened, but again, this happened in the nights. You know, after the nine one win on Friday, they're feeling good on Saturday, up three oh in the sixth, and it completely unravels. Um thanks to defense and some poor pitching. Then they come back Sunday, like, all right, we're feeling good, and up four to one in the fourth. And then it just implodes this not this time not not in the field, but on the mound. Uh JJ Montgomery really struggled. Um, just couldn't really find his spots. Uh, really didn't have his. Really didn't have great stuff. Uh, and then they brought in the bullpen, and you know Eric Heppel had a bad line. Kreefenfrock uh, gave up uh, a run for the second outing in a row, and it was bad all around. And this was an, another game in which Saturday and Sunday both um, this team had chances in the earlier innings mm-hmm. with men on the corners and less than two out, or men in second and third with two out, and they couldn't get a hit to tack on those extra runs. When they're up three nothing, or when they're four to one, and um, you know that's something that they'll look back on and say it's a different game. It's a different game if we if we tack on there early. Um, but Sunday was was ugly, kind of all around. Even Greg even Greg Lovelady questioned some of his um, some of his moves and how he handled the bullpen in that game. Um, so I think everybody got some blame. That ended up being an eleven six loss, a game they led four to one. Um, so it's not exactly the most positive weekend. But it is still the first conference weekend of the of the season. We have a long way to go. I am not pulling any plastic off of any uh, <laughs> metaphorical panic button. Um, I know that's that's going to be some some. It's going to be a take from some people who covered this team. But no, we got a long way to go. Okay. All right. I trust you. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it, and all the more reason to. You know, not panic just yet is the fact that in comes uh, or, or actually they head out to Memphis uh, for Thursday, Friday, Saturday uh, set. Memphis uh, comes in. They are they they got off to a bad start against Houston, dropped their first three conference games. 
The Tigers are 8-17 and 17 overall. Sometimes with that Memphis team, you just never know what you're going to get. And I would, and, and believe me, I would know this since, you know, I've done their games in the conference tournament um, the last two years. And, you know, this is a team that was, you know, mired in the bottom third of the conference. And all of a sudden they get within two years ago, they get within one game of the conference championship game um, and, uh, and, and put up a pretty good account of themselves last year too. But, um, anything that you're concerned about with regard to Memphis coming up? I know that they have Stetson coming up right after that, uh, yeah. at home on Tuesday, but, um, but it, it, if you're going to sort of stop any sort of bleeding from losing four of your last five, I mean, doing it against Memphis is the right, t- is the right way to do it, isn't it? I mean, there are games you have to win, right? Like you'll want to win the games against ECU and you want to win Florida state. And hopefully you come out on those series, you know, either splitting or, or winning the series. But you really should beat Memphis at this point. We're talking about a team that ranks last in the conference in batting average, total bases. Uh, they're second to last in runs scored. Um, offensively, it's not a good team. And then on the mound, they're in the bottom third in ERA, and um, it's 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 not a good team. They they did give up. They did put up a good fight against uh, the fifth ranked Arkansas team uh, last week. They lost by a run late. Gave up a ninth inning, ninth, ninth inning run to lose that game eight to seven. So you know, I, I think you know the coaches will point to that and saying you know this team can compete with the best teams in 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 the country. Um, but I don't know if there needs to be much said going into this weekend. Uh, I think this team, in some aspect, is probably a little embarrassed about how they played against you uh, ECU, and I think this team is going to be pretty self motivated um, once they go into Memphis, which is uh, Thursday night Thursday. A Thursday, Friday, Saturday series. Yeah, because they're trying. They want to get back before Easter. Um, mm-hmm. The uh, UCF right now is eighteen and eight. Uh, their current RPI has them at seventy five. Uh, to put that into perspective, Stetson, who they play Tuesday night, is nineteen and five and forty third in mm-hmm. the RPI. So, uh, as we're now in the thick of conference play. Is this something that you're going to be paying close attention to as the season progresses? Because I mean, I don't know if maybe you can tell me firsthand, but I'm not sure like how much the committee takes into account the RPI. But I know for one, I know one thing: if you're 75th, you're on the outside looking in. Right. Uh, it's it's not a great number, but I think the, you know the thing with the schedule in this conference too. Like this conference is pretty competitive. Uh, not, you know, the Stetson game is certainly going to be a, a nice, you know, a, a big competition. But uh, remember, they've got Oklahoma later on at, at the end of the year. Um, and so there's going to be some some games certainly in this conference they can use to, to sort of pump their stock up. Um, again, I, I mean, we're talking about tournament resumes. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's I mean, it is, you know, the second week of conference. It's March. The season runs through, you know, into May and through mid-May. And I'm, I'm not there. I'm, I'm not really there. It's like it's like it's like discussing the NCAA tournament bracket in basketball, but discussing them is discussing it in like early January. Well, like, doesn't the first know. bracketology come out in like you know August? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, but that's because <laughs> that's because it gets clicks. I mean, it doesn't mean it doesn't mean it means anything. It's like when the committee had unleashed their top four four seeds for each region like a month before selection day. It's like that's nice. By the way, <laughs> Oklahoma was a four seed at that point, yeah. and they barely made it in. So I mean, 
things change. Yeah. Uh, I think right now, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm sorry for not uh, really kind of answering the question about RPI and tournament resumes, but uh, it's. I think it's still too soon, and I think this team just needs to really – I mean, you got to at least take two out of three at Memphis yeah. uh, before that Stetson well, game. Well, there's also, I mean, you still have, you know, uh, Wichita is going to be coming up on the schedule, and they're ranked number 26th right now. Mm-hmm. Um, USF, interestingly enough, um, they uh, took two out of three from uh, UConn by virtue of a three to two victory in the series in the rubber game. And uh, just to give you an example of how volatile the RPI is, at least right now, they jumped from 97th to 58th. Uh, by virtue of winning two mm. out of three against UConn. Uh, so hard to say right now um, how things are going to shape up. I think I was seeing something around, yeah, the top, uh, in the top 10, like, you know, uh, e- ECU jumped from 25th by virtue of taking two out of three from UCF. ECU jumped 13 spots from 25 to 12. So, yeah. Um, and I actually, I was a little surprised that, that UCF actually did remain. I mean, Again, not that it means a whole lot. People like to see the number next to the name. Mm-hmm. But I was actually surprised to see UCF still in the top 25 in some polls. They were ranked 25th in a couple of polls after losing four out of five and after losing the last two. And, well, that's in rather the opponents, though. I mean, I, I, you could argue that they lost games that they were probably supposed to lose. Uh, you know, no. If you're a voter. No. I mean, no? Right. Yeah. I mean, if you, oh, yeah. I mean, uh, certainly they're not yeah. paying close attention. They're not playing close attention. They look at the scores. But, like, I mean, if you if you if you had been paying attention, like yeah, they lost to a team that was technically ranked higher than them, like by two spots. But like, mm-hmm. it was it was not like uh, it was not a great showcase for what UCF can do against the top twenty team. Like it was right. it was bad for more than half of each game on Saturday and Sunday. I got you. So, all right. Well, nonetheless, um, we'll be keeping an eye on the Memphis series coming up uh, at Memphis, uh, and you can watch that actually on I believe Memphis's website. They. They give away their webcast for free. Yeah, go Tigers, go.com. Mm-hmm. There's a link on UCFnights.com. Thursday, 7.30, Friday, 7.30, Saturday, 12.30. And then the Stetson game is back home um, at John Juliano Park before they schlep out to uh, Stores, Connecticut for UConn next weekend. So we'll be keeping an eye on that. A couple of uh, quick injury updates for this team, too, yeah, because it's, it's kind of important. Uh, Tyler Osick, who was the conference uh, player of the week before, you know, um, before the past week, um, he uh, tweaked his back uh, against uh, uh, early last week and didn't play at all against ECU. Greg Lovelady said he hoped to have Tyler back uh, for this weekend series against Memphis. Uh, said that Tyler wanted to play against ECU, but they wanted to be cautious with him, make sure that what he had didn't turn into something that was, you know, chronic or something that hampered him for the rest of the season, so they gave him the weekend off. They hope to have him back against Memphis. That's big for a team that, again, still struggles sometimes offensively. And then Anthony George, who has been out since the second game of the year with a knee injury, um, he is at least swinging a bat and fielding some grounders in the field. Um, He might DH this weekend. Uh, Really, his value is... Defensively, he's the best. He's the best defensive catcher this team's got. Mm-hmm. And although Dallas Beaver and Logan Heiser uh, have done fine behind the dish defensively, obviously this team struggles right now. They're, they're still leading the conference in errors committed. And Anthony George is at least one piece who could help that. Uh, but he's not ready to catch yet, so he might play, but he might DH. Um, but still, getting those two guys back in the lineup, especially Osik, is significant. Good, good. All right. 
So that's good news coming up for uh, UCF baseball. We're going to take a quick break. When we get back, Eric Lopez is going to join us from Houston, where he is with the UCF softball team. We'll talk, talk softball, and we will also talk uh, some football stuff as well. In fact, that's him calling me right now. We're going to take a break. Be right back. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. The Black and Gold Banneret Podcast is brought to you by the Unger Real Estate Group, powered by EXP Realty. Sam Unger and his team proudly serve Orange, Seminole, and Lake Counties, specializing in buying, selling, and new construction. Sam is a proud UCF graduate, class of 2006, and he's such a dedicated Knight fan that right now, if you work with him as your realtor, he will donate a portion of his commission to the UCF Football Excellence Fund in your name. So if you're ready to buy a new home or sell your current home, upgrade or downsize, Sam and his team have you covered so you can find the right home at the right price in the right location. So give him a call right now at 407-790-9957. Again, that's 407-790-9957. Or visit on the web at WeSellOrlando.net. Again, that's WeSellOrlando.net. You can also reach them on Facebook at Facebook.com slash WeSellOrlando. Get in touch with the Unger Real Estate Group today and make finding your dream home a reality. Hello, Night Nation. I'm Andrew Fegley. And I'm Trey Strelko. Um, uh, um, where are we? This isn't our usual spot. It looks like we've landed in the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Oh, yeah. I've, I've heard of those guys. You know, Nightline has UCF sports covered. Week in and week out, we bring you interviews with newsmakers and in-depth analysis of UCF sports. Subscribe to our weekly podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe to Nightline on YouTube, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore Nightline. Trace, can we go back to the 1148 studios now and start working on our next all-new Nightline? How do we get out of here? Go Knights! Charge on. Now back to you guys in the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. All right, welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Brian Murphy, Eric Lopez is now joining us from Houston where he is with the UCF softball team as they prepare for their three-game set with uh, their rivals, the Cougars, uh, UCF softball coming in at 22-12. and 12. Uh, Eric, you and I were both in the press box for uh, UCF's uh, se- uh, conference season opening um, sweep of Tulsa. They won all three games uh, by one run, two of them by a count of two to one. And then they defeated Bethune-Cookman on Tuesday, eight to nothing. But the Knights have won four in a row. And now they have this big test at Houston. How's the weather over there, by the way, interestingly enough? It's been raining frequently, so uh, hopefully, though, by, it should be fine for first pitch, but it has been raining, which has become the trend every time. As though the people in Houston, Houston need be, rain. <laughs> yeah, right? You know, they, they, they need more of that. It's been interesting, though. Every other year, it seems, we come here to Houston, it seems like there's always some sort of rain situation, but... Uh, no, things are good. Good trip. Everybody's ready to go. Big series, as you mentioned. Obviously, coming off that series sweep of Tulsa, the defending American Conference champions, huge for this team. And I thought, obviously, Aaliyah White got a lot of the attention, rightfully so, starting the all three games was fantastic. Pitcher of the week. Um, and, and this team has got some momentum going. They took care of the Thone Cookman in the midweek. Uh, they didn't take him lightly, and now they got the rivals with Houston, which, you know, that goes back to 2006, and 
it's a big series. It's a huge series. These are two contenders for the conference title. And by the way, with the latest RPI, the American Conference boys, the number four rated conference in the sport. So uh, it's a really good league. So every game's going to be a battle. And these two programs historically don't uh, – there's some fireworks over there. It's not the best of terms. So don't, it's always intense with these two. Let's listen in. Here's Coach Gillespie uh, after the third game of the Tulsa series, and also Courtney Roten, who hit the uh, game-winning two-run homer in the bottom of the sixth in that third game. Yeah, if, if you look at all three games, we started roughing all three games. <laughs> so, you know, that's something we got to kind of settle in and be able to, to, to handle that. And fortunately, this weekend, we were able to, to knock it down and, and not have any, anybody score in those situations and, and um, be a little bit tougher than we have been in the past. I mean, we were giving up a lot of runs early in the games, um, early in the season. So we're improving with that, and you're seeing with every game, we're getting better and better. They're defending champions, so uh, coming out here, we wanted to have the most energy as possible on our home field and um, just do what we could do to be able to get the win, and we got the sweep, so now we get ice cream for that, so that's exciting. <laughs> well, I, interestingly enough, I'm curious what the pitching situation is going to be for Coach Gillespie because she, um, she started Aaliyah White all three games in the Tulsa series. Granted, it was a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, so she wasn't you know, using her in a doubleheader situation. But that was the first time in UCF history that the same pitcher started all three games of a conference series. Uh, and uh, and it, it's it, – on one hand, you got I think you got to be happy that, you know, Aaliyah White has turned into that kind of a pitcher. But on the other hand, you're concerned that, you know, where is the number two? Every year it's, it seems to be that – it seems to be that since, since you had McKenzie and um, – Mackenzie Otis and Shelby Turnier, you know, who's the number two going to be, right? Right. Well, that's a fair question. I thought that's why the third Cookman win, where they basically went staff uh, staff day, where they threw Cameron Tony, who got the win, Sierra Ward, and Demare Bayesian. That was kind of their big try to get some confidence, get some work in. You can't assume that Leo will throw every game, although I'll tell you. I, I, you know, the Tulsa game was series was unique in that she's just a very good matchup with Tulsa. Tulsa doesn't hit off-speed pitches very well, and that's one of her rep strengths and repertoire is really one of her best pitches. And Tulsa just didn't have any answers for her, and so she matched them. So I think it's a game-by-game deal with Aaliyah, and I think she'll get the ball, obviously, to start the series, and I think they kind of go from there. So uh, situations will dictate whatever they got to do. They're trying to win a conference championship, and whoever gives them the best chance to win and get a step closer – to that goal, they will do what they got to do. And listen, you know, and I've talked to different people. I mean, we make such a big deal about pitchers throwing every day and stuff. Well, that used to be the common thing. It's, we've kind of forgotten that a little bit because there's been so much baseball philosophy thrown into softball in recent years that people are now are like, "Whoa, she threw every game." Well, that really was the norm. So it's not as good a deal as say in baseball, for example. But look, Houston's a good lineup, different lineup than Tulsa. Uh, but Houston, I can tell you, I've been here coming to games here since 2008. This is a hitter's park. The ball flies out of here, especially if the wind's blowing out. So it's a different challenge. So we'll see how the weekend uh, kind of plays out. Yeah, Houston comes in 46th in the RPI in softball. UCF currently at 65. And then uh, after the three at Houston, it doesn't get much easier because come the Knights come home for a Wednesday midweek with Florida. Uh, who right now is fourth in the RPI? The Gators are twenty six and three. Um, what's going to be the, the the strategy going into that one? Because yeah, that's certainly a resume builder. But you know, you're in the middle of conference play. So how how do you play 
if you're Coach Gillespie and her staff, how do you play that situation where you got these three games against a conference opponent on the road who's ranked ahead of you, and then you have an SEC opponent coming home two days later? Well, I think, I mean, it's cliche, but you take it one at a time. Obviously, they're locked in and trying to win this series. It's a big series. I mean, these two programs have a long history. where It's a tense rivalry. Uh, so it's going to be big. And then, yeah, they're going to go out. Look, Florida is a sellout crowd. It's a sold-out crowd. It's going to be full capacity. Yeah, and that came out today, uh, by the way. It is a sold-out sold out crowd for April yeah. the 6th. So if you're looking to get tickets, too bad. You missed your chance. Uh, right. So, I mean, it, it, everybody's going to get up for that game, and they're going to try and win that game. Look, you, you're trying to build a resume in case you don't win the conference tournament. you got to build a resume. You just got wins over Long Beach State. Right now, that's in the top 25. The sweep over Tulsa looks good. you got to win against a very good Hofstra team. Hopefully, you can win this series against Houston. A win over Florida definitely would enhance your resume. I mean, I go back to 2012 when Mackenzie Honest threw the shutout, which you can read about on blackandgoldbanneret.com. It's one of the great individual performances of all time. Um, that, in my opinion, got them into the tournament in 2012. So, uh, they're going to go out for the win. They don't. They don't kind of take it lightly, and I think they're just kind of play it game by game. Remember the Florida game with the Easter weekend. The last game of the Houston series would be Saturday. Mm-hmm. They would have Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, so you would have three days basically until Florida. So uh, it's not like you're playing Florida, you know, in back to back days after a Houston game. Although they are going back on the road after that, two days later for Friday, Saturday, Sunday against UConn. So. Um, and that's up in Connecticut. So that's going to be something that we'll have to keep an eye on. Um, what do you think? Two out of three at Houston's kind of the goal, right? Oh, absolutely. It's a huge series, too, especially after getting a 3-0 start against Tulsa, which, quite honestly, I didn't even expect. Um, so you're, you're, you're playing in a way already ahead of – you're already ahead of schedule here. If you can get two out of three against the top two teams in the league in preseason going in, uh, that would be significantly huge uh, with the way the schedule plays out. I mean, certainly it's so early, but you're right. If they can get two out of three, it would be huge to start off five and one. I would, nobody would have expected that. And I think it gives this young group. I mean, you've seen this team in person now. It's a very young group. And I'm telling you, I think this team, since that Tulsa sweep, has given this team some confidence. I've seen it uh, traveling with them here. Now, that's not, sometimes that doesn't translate on the field, okay? It's very simple. Houston's very talented. Savannah Heatner's a very good pitcher. I expect uh, her to throw majority of the, the innings this weekend for Houston. But uh, they, they're a lot more confident team than I think they were, say, pre-Tulsa. Yeah. Well, UCF comes in uh, I mean, right now through the first weekend. They are 3-0 and in the conference, tied with USF, who swept UConn. Uh, Houston comes in 2-1 and in the league, 21-9 and overall. Um, so we'll have to keep an eye on this, and you'll have uh, and Eric will be providing uh, some of the coverage as uh, uh, you can listen live on UCFnights.com. Uh, and it looks like I sounds like practice just ended. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're 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 a lively group as they get ready for games going on. So yeah, they uh, they will they tend to get into it. They don't get cheated there, that's yeah. for sure. <laughs> Cool stuff. We'll be listening for you, Eric, this weekend. And uh, all right, we're going to switch gears over to football. And uh, a couple, actually, this is a big week for UCF football, believe it or not. Um, first of all, spring practice is underway. I know everyone's really excited about that. Um, yeah. Okay. So yes, spring, spring spring practice is underway. We'll just put that aside for there. Pro day is coming up. 
and uh, and, and it's uh, in fact we're recording this on Wednesday, March twenty eighth. It's it's tomorrow, isn't it, Brian? Yes, tomorrow yeah, afternoon scheduled to go off at two two p.m. Okay, so. Hello, Murph. By the way, good yeah. to, good to see you, Murph. I I feel hey, by the way it's fitting. I'm in Houston. I'm in Houston, so I think it's fitting. Just like our friend Jim Nance would say, "Hello, friends." Jim Nance being an alum of Houston, so I figured to just throw, throw that out there. Look at Elo with the tie-ins. I know huh? he's he's met Jim Nance once, and now all of a sudden he's quoting he's quoting the book of Jim Nance all over the place. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> you met, hey, 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 for the record, it was Murphy and myself. I mean, we're, we're, we're in the Jim Nance inner circle. I'm just going to throw that out there. I mean, you know, <laughs> I, yeah, right there with Davis love the third, I'm sure. But, um, <laughs> but all right. So football now, some, they released the depth chart. We're not going to talk about the depth chart. Um, Shannon Green, oh, actually, Shannon Green actually brought up an interesting point though. She said, um, um, UCF doesn't normally provide a pro day list, but uh, decided to roll out the red carpet this year. There are 11 players from pre-2017 teams coming out, including TJ Mutcherson, Dontravius Wilson, Jeff Godfrey coming out to pro coming out to pro day. In addition to the current guys, uh, also who, um, a couple other names coming out: um, Cal Bloom, Jared Boykins, Errol Clark will be there. Terry Cook. Will be there. Drico Johnson, Chris Martin, Jordan McRae, Justin Tukes uh, are the are the uh, pre twenty seventeen guys who will be working out. In addition to the uh, twenty seventeen class, which includes in alphabetical order, uh, Jordan Akins, Shaquan Burkett, Aaron Evans, Jordan Franks, Shaquem Griffin will be out there. Not sure how much work he'll be doing. Tony Gerard. Um, uh, Case Harrison, Mike Hughes, of course, Cedric Jordan-Williams, Savon Lowry, Josh Odegi, um, uh, Jemias Pittman, and Trey Quan uh, Smith, who will be taking part in drills on Thursday. So um, this is not the big question I was going to ask you guys, but but the talent level here um, that, that you're looking at, no one should be surprised at this, right? I, I mean, and is this is this sort of a bumper crop that we're looking at, kind of like around what we had around two thousand three, two thousand four, or do we expect this to sort of be a good thing? And and the exposure that these guys are getting beforehand is a good thing, no? Yeah, I, I don't think there has been a bigger media day, other than arguably Blake Bortles' media day from a few yeah. years ago. Yeah. Uh, other than that, other than that, you know, you've got two ESPN crews here. You've got Tom Rinaldi doing a doing a story on Shaquem, which is going to be good because it's got Tom Rinaldi in it. Uh, you've got sixty credential media members. Um, yeah, it's a it's a it's a big uh, showcase for UCF. And I mean, I know this is kind of a hot take, but when you go undefeated in a college football season and win the Peach Bowl, you're probably going to have some decent players. Yeah. Well, wow, well, that's a, that's bold. Um, Thank you. I was at Thank the Bortles one. I, I, I covered the Bortles uh, pro day. That was huge because uh, obviously he was a top pick. Every NFL coach was there. ESPN did, was there as well for the Bortles one. So that's probably the biggest one. This one is obviously it's got a lot of unique stories. You mentioned Rinaldi. He's obviously going to do a story in Shaquille Griffin, who's the star of this pro day. But there's other guys that have a chance to improve their stock. So, you know, it's an opportunity for guys to get a, you know, maybe a, for NFL to give them a look, you know, to look at them. And so you chance to impress somebody and, Look, I think it's yes. I think we've we've learned 
That's why, which is hilarious, why we always go into the spring stuff. Uh, there was talent on this roster. I remember a year ago at this time, people were wondering, well, geez, you know, I don't know how good can this team be? Can they be seven and five? Well, it turned out they'll be a little better than that. So, um, you know, it's going to be an interesting, you know, event. Uh, the funny thing I'll remember from the Bortles thing, because that's obviously the one I was at, I'll never forget. He was working with other UCF receivers. Jeff Godfrey, I think, was at that at that one as well. As a matter of fact, yeah. Uh, so some of these guys that are throwing out, they're going to help out, obviously. But I'll never forget after Bortles got done, the guy, the first guy that greeted him and gave him a big hug, was Gus Bradley, who was at the time the head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. And right. you know, people try to like, oh, it's no big deal. Well, guess where did he end up going? Jacksonville. So. Um, sometimes you can tip your hand a little bit at these pro days and who likes you and who doesn't. <laughs> Maybe tipping your hand too much is why Gus Bradley is no longer the head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. <laughs> but it's true. Um, now, now this is the fun part of the year though, because we, you know, off season, you know, free agency and the run up to the draft. And, and this is where I, this is one of my favorite times of year in the football calendar. And, uh, and, and one of the reasons why we found out yesterday is uh, and I know I'm diving off of the UCF train for just a little bit, but just bear with me. Yesterday, here in Orlando, um, the NFL announced uh, some rule changes uh, for the upcoming uh, season. Um, a couple of the rules that I wanted to just kind of go over with you guys. Um, the, the big one is that the NFL clarified its catch rule finally to be something... Um, simple to be first of all much simpler and something that tends to make sense. Um, the uh, let's see, uh, catch is considered completed when a receiver gets ha- establishes control, has two feet or another body part on the ground inbounds, and completes a football move. And they and they provide examples of a football move: the third step, uh, reaching or extending for the line to gain, or having the ability to do so. Um, so they so obviously we'll see how this works in practice, but that sounds obviously very similar to the college rule. Um, what other a couple other things that they said that they were a little bit more worried about actually is um, lowering the head to initiate contact with the helmet is now a foul. So that sounds so people were like, oh god, targeting is coming to the NFL. Um, you know, I, I I don't know. We'll see how that works in practice. And uh, also, when a team wins a game with a touchdown, as time expires in regulation, the team will no longer have to do the obligatory extra point try. Just it, it's just a walk off oh, touchdown. That's, that's it. That's um, gonna kill so many gamblers. <laughs> that's yeah. the first thing that yeah. really said. is. <laughs> By the um, way, I do have a UCF tie to the NFL owners meeting. Are you, are, you, are you ready for this? Okay. This is great. So we're at the airport, the Orlando airport. We're getting ready to fly out to Houston. This is an early Wednesday afternoon, right? And we're checking our bags. And who is exactly checking his bags at the same time that I'm checking my bags? Kansas City Chiefs head coach Andy Reid. Huh. Andy Reid. And so the softball team, we all got to meet Andy Reid, who's where he's got with his family. And he had like a beach, kind of like a beach kind of shirt going on, and anything like that. Yeah, like he wears so, like uh, he greeted shirts her. whenever he goes to like the Hawaii. Like that's what he was. That's what he was. Yes, that's what he was wearing. So he greeted our softball team, and you know, hey, where are you guys playing, and all that, and wished as well. Uh, so Andy Reid, we were, actually did talk. It was funny you bring that up with the owners meeting. By the way, this is the second time 
in my lifetime, I've run into Andy Reid in, in weird situations. I ran into him in Australia, of all places, in 2005. I was at the, at the Opera House, and we're in the restroom, and he's there. And I, and I, I said, hey, you're Andy Reid. He was, at the time, the Eagles head coach. And he gave me that look like, I can't believe I'm in Australia and somebody actually How recognizes me. How did I get recognized me? by <laughs> someone in Australia, of all places? I, try, I, I came exactly. to Australia to not be recognized. <laughs> exactly. That was the look he gave me. So, But it was a lot better look today, or a lot better look on Wednesday when we uh, ran into him. <laughs> but you're right. I mean, obviously, uh, look, I'm happy that the catch thing has finally been figured out. It's been stupid for, like, the last few years. Um so I'm happy that we have a resolution. I mean, it should it should have been done a long time ago. Yeah. That's now, my deal. Is your boy Beckham getting traded, by the way? Oh God, I hope so. Are you guys, anyway, are you guys dumb enough? That's, are you guys, or, I hope so. Um, here's if my they question: can, If they can get if they, if they can get two first round picks, this is now a huge aside. We have yeah. been completely off the rails, which is totally standard for this podcast. I'm, I'm pulling it. I'm pulling uh, it back. Here's here's my question. <laughs> Go ahead, Brian. I was going. <laughs> if they get two first round picks, definitely. Oh, yeah. I would trade. I get two first-round picks, yeah, I'd trade them in a heartbeat. Here's my question for the yeah. two of you. All right. Yeah. Um, and I'll let each of you answer this. Murph will start with you. What college rule do you want to see changed the most? And don't just say, I want this rule to change. Tell me how you would redo it. And, and actually... Um, if if there's an NFL rule that you would want to see adopted to college, what do you think it would be? Uh, yeah, I mean, I kind of agree with more college rules than I do NFL rules. Uh, the NFL rule I would like to see changed that wasn't included in this package is I would like to see pass interference only be a 15-yard penalty. I don't like it being a spot penalty. I don't like being a spot uh, in the NFL because I think that puts – a lot of power into the referee's hands for what we have seen many times be a judgment call and they can't review that and it changes games. What college I know rule would you, do you think? Do you, so you think that college gets it right with 15 yards? Yes, absolutely. Cause I, I think you then uh, take down the odds of, I'm sorry, but you take down the odds of a, re- a referee, really a ref or an official really impacting the game uh, humongously. And, I, and no one wants to see that. And so I think – and you're, you're going to have more guys holding blatantly to, to avert touchdowns. I understand that. But it's better than some guy getting a 40-yard P.I. in a playoff game because of some ticky-tack hand fighting, which, you know, it's just it's – just, it's disheartening when a referee has that much power over a game. I, I You know, um, I, this is – it's interesting you mention that because because I actually think the exact opposite. I think that college should adopt the pro rule on P.I. And I know you, I know you I guys both you disagree. disagree. I, I know, but hear me out. Here's why. <laughs> I think part of the reason why we see such bad defensive back play in the NFL is because of the college rule. In college, if you get beat downfield, just grab the guy. It's a 15-yard penalty. Even though you're 50 yards downfield, you know, you're actually rewarding the defense for a bad play. Whereas in the NFL, it's a spot foul. Like you need to, you need to conduct defense according to the rules. Yes, I get that it's a judgment call. Um, now we can have a debate about whether or not pass interference should be reviewable, um, but that's a separate question. I think that in college it should be a spot foul because it will teach defensive backs at the college level to be much more conscious of how they play defense down the field. And, you know, I, would that probably result in some more 
pass interference penalties, yes, but I think it'll result in better defensive back play down the, li- down the line, not just in college, but eventually in the pros. I think the reason why we see so many pass interference penalties in the pros is because it's, it's hard to sort of beat that out of NFL-level defensive backs when they've been, you know, when they've had that sort of 15-yard bailout for four years in college, too. I don't know what the rules are in high school. I mean, it, obviously, it depends on the state. But I think most states are probably 15 yards, too. But um, I think it would contribute to better defensive back play in the NFL if they did it um, that way. What about you, Elo? What college, what, uh, what college rule would you like to see changed? And if there's an NFL rule that you'd like to see adopted in college, what would it be? Well, first of all, I agree with Murph. I don't agree with you. I think the reason I don't think the defensive back play is bad because of the college rule. I think it's because the refs are terrible. And I think the yeah. refs are always slow and out of touch. And that's why they're subjective. It's a very subjective call. And I think that's why I kind of agree with Murph. I don't want games, uh, teams getting rewarded on a subjective call. Uh, because, you know, you've seen guys sometimes get hold back and forth and they call it one way or the other. So I agree with Murph on that. But I would say this. I, I think the overtime row in college needs to be adjusted, if not completely destroyed. Um, I think it's – I hate the gimmick. I think the – what is it, a 25-yard line or whatever it is, too line. short. I, I would move it back. If you want to keep it that way, fine. I would move it to, like, midfield. Um, otherwise, I would just do it like the NFL does it. I just think – I'm not a fan of, like, hey, if the game is a 17-17, and it ends up being 51-48. You know, they actually – in the NFL, one of the rule changes that I neglected to mention was actually, um, was actually pretty interesting. had to do with overtime. Did you see this? Um. When a te- when the uh, here's how it, okay so you know how the NFL rule is you know first team to possess the ball touchdown they win field goal we we play on when the here's the rule change this is according to SI when the first team to possess the ball in overtime makes a field goal and the second team to possess the ball fumbles the ball or throws an interception the play will run to its conclusion including awarding points scored to either team. So in other words, let's say I kick off to you, or let's say uh, you get the ball first, Murph, you get a field goal. And then you kick Mm -hmm. the ball off to me in overtime. Um, It used to be that if I threw an interception to you, the game was over right there. All right. But there was a little bit of a loophole in the rule where that could have been really embarrassing. Let's say I threw an interception to you and then one of my wide receivers tackles your intercepting guy on the play, and then you fumble, and he runs it in for a touchdown. According to the rules beforehand, the, the play would have been dead. Yeah. So, now, fortunately, the NFL didn't have, it, didn't have uh, a situation like this, but I thought that that was actually um, pretty interesting. I still don't know how you... Uh, how, I mean, the, the, most college overtimes don't go quite to what the extent that you mentioned, Eric, although we've seen a few of them and they do stand out, like, you know, like these, you know, five, four or five overtime games. But I don't think, I think that college should actually keep the overtime rule as it is because it provides such remarkable drama. The, the overwhelming percentage of college games end after one overtime. Um, there are very few multi-overtime college games. What do you think, Murph? Well, it's funny, you know, you bring up the dead ball issue and actually like, you know, I think another rule that's sort of related to that is 
the officials need to be more liberal when it comes to blowing their whistles on possible fumbles. I know this is very much a snap judgment call in the moment. Yeah, that's but, a hard thing to do in the moment. Yeah. Look, if but if you are certainly if you're a Jags fan, you know this. Uh, you know, look if 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 the ball's out, okay, and you think you think a guy's down, like be like let it roll, be cautious because. You know, when those things happen, you're taking away live ball turnovers or touchdowns off. You know, you're taking away touchdowns because the ball is ruled dead uh, once upon recovery because, you know, the whistle was blown. And that's a huge change in momentum. It's a huge change in the game. Um, so, again, just be like more like and it's the same thing with like the P.I. calls. Just be more like just be a little more liberal uh, or can, I should say really conservative with your with your with your calls, because. We don't need to see as many. We don't need to see as much of you as we do actually do the, the game. The game is fine. Although the targeting rule that the NFL has now adopted is going to lead to about a thousand ejections in the first four weeks. Well, I, I, it's interesting you Brent, you mentioned the targeting. I want to get you guys, you know, uh, temperature on this too. The targeting rule in college, I think, is the one rule that I think a lot of people just just cannot stand because of kind of how it's administered, um, where you know the the flag is thrown and a player can get ejected. I understand the, the, the intent behind it. Um, but I do think that I am, and I'm actually okay with it being reviewable. I just don't think it should result in an automatic ejection. I think that if you have a guy commit a second targeting foul, it should be like a technical foul in basketball or actually like, a an unsportsmanlike conduct now that they have in the NFL. I don't know if the college has this where, you know, basically your first unsportsmanlike is a warning. Second one is you're out. Um, Mm -hmm. I I think if they changed the first one to a 15 yard penalty and then the second one resulted in an ejection, I think that would be different. I think they also need to clarify, you know, what actually constitutes targeting. I think that actually if you as a hitter use your head as a weapon, that is to me what targeting is about because it's very difficult, you know. And by the way, I don't necessarily subscribe to one of the things that a lot of the analysts out there say about how, um, oh well, how can how can the player adjust when you know when that player is coming towards them? It all happens too fast. Well, you're saying that as the instant replay is happening, you know, at, at you know, super slow motion. I do think it should be clarified so that players who use their head as a weapon who lead with their head. Uh, should be should, should be penalized. Uh, I, I think that you get a 15 yard penalty for the first one, then an ejection for the second one, uh, and then uh, in addition to that, I think that you should be they should be much much more careful on their interpretation of what constitutes hitting a defenseless receiver. If you hit a, hit a guy helmet to helmet, that should be automatic. I mean, it, you know, that there's there's just no room for that. In the game, because you're really endangering another guy when you use your head as a weapon against another guy's head. You, that sounded like a lot, and uh, <laughs> so I'm gonna, I'm just gonna let you roll with that. I have certainly I yeah. have a rebuttal, what you, but I feel like, I, I feel like this this uh, pathway into move the sticks podcast uh, has has gone has gone awry. What did this turn into NFL Live? Yeah, when did it turn it, into no, NFL no, like, Live? Well, Although, when you talking about NFL Live? I was just talking about a college rule for crying out loud. Uh, I think you're very upset Jeremiah. about Odell Beckham. I think that's there you go. No, there no, no. Go. Hey, I am oh, not upset I, about that one bit. <laughs> by the way, can I give you another? Uh, I'm going to give you another little gossip. So, okay. our bus driver 
that's going to be driving UCF softball all around drove the New England Patriots when they won the Super Bowl here a couple of years ago in Houston. He was the, the, the assigned bus driver for the Patriots. In fact, he was the one, he was in the bus when they figured out, oh, Tom Brady's jersey was stolen. And then last uh, fall, he was the assigned bus driver for the Houston Astros during the playoffs in the World Series when they would go on the road and come back. He was the effect, he was on the bus uh, when they w- came back from Los Angeles to win the World Series. So, uh, in fact, he showed me off his pins. He's got like a Super Bowl Patriots pin and a uh, Astros pin. Pretty, pretty cool. So, we're in good this hands. I hope some good mojo good going moment. with him, doesn't he? So, yeah. So, you're, you're telling me like this bus driver is like the sister gene of bus drivers? Like he's just a massive good luck charm? That's basically uh, what We'll is. find out. <laughs> Let's I'm just keep that in mind. If things go well this weekend, you know, we, we're, we're going to try and bring him everywhere. At the, yeah? Maybe adopt him. I don't know. Uh, but it's pretty cool that we could say we're in the we're in literally in the same bus that the Houston Astros and the New England Patriots actually rode when they won their championships here in Houston. How about that, huh? Take one of the seats. Yeah, Tom Brady <laughs> is here. I'll yeah. try. Right. Um, let me uh, let's do some quick catching up on some things, and then I'll ask you guys for. Um, all right, yeah, hurry it up because I gotta go. We got games I, I gotta do here. Yeah. All right, men's tennis is nine and six. They're coming off uh, five consecutive victories, including a win over Princeton. They've got Oklahoma State coming up this Friday. Women's tennis continues to roll. They are at 14-2, and two, Eric Lopez. They've won eight in a row. They've knocked off uh, Yale and Brown this past week. They've got FIU at the USTA on uh, Friday as well. And then they go to USF next Wednesday. Uh, track and field. 2002, that's the drought. 2002, yep. the drought, women's tennis. I want to keep that, bring it up every time. And I don't think they've lost, by the way, since Brian Kaneko came on this program. I'm just saying. I think saying. you might be right. Yeah, just saying. Just, just put, putting that pin up there. Uh, big weekend for track and field coming up. They go to the, they go to the Pepsi Florida Relays. It's a three-day event, for, uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. It's their biggest event before conference of the year. Keep an eye on that up in Gainesville on UCFnights.com. Uh, Men's golf. Haven't checked in with them in a while. They finished in fourth uh, at the, uh, it's called the Hate H-A-Y-T, in Bonavidra, hosted by UNF. They traveled to the 3M Augusta Invitational, hosted by Augusta State. Two-day event, Saturday and Sunday. Women's golf uh, is coming off of t- tied for ninth at the Lady Gator Invitational, their last time out earlier this month. Uh, they don't play again until the Bryan National Collegiate at UNC Greensboro uh, on April 6th through the 8th. So, last question for you guys as we uh, finish up here. Uh, Final four, who you got? Uh, uh, let's. Uh, well, uh, Arizona, Gonzaga, Duke, and Villanova. Oh, come on. That's right. You heard it here first. <laughs> Get your brackets out, people. Let's see here. I think only one of those. Uh, yeah. All right. No, I, 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 I got Villanova, it, Kansas it, in one semi, and Michigan, Loyola, Chicago in the other. If I had to pick a team, it's probably Villanova. Like they, they make threes at an amazing rate, and their defense is a little underrated. It's probably going to be Michigan and Villanova, and I think Villanova in a shooting contest. Elo. I concur with Murph. That's you know, right. Thank I'm gonna, you. I'm going to be. I'm going to be contrarian. I'm going to take. I'm going to take. I'm going to say it's going to be between the two Catholic schools, Loyola <laughs> Chicago and Villanova. Loyola Chicago finally pulls pulls the upset. Sister Jean. 
Wow. Well, boy, is it, you know, you know who needs some media exposure? Totally irrational. Yeah, totally irrational. Really she needs her, some media because not enough people Twitter. know who that story is. She's finally got a Twitter account and everything. I mean, it's finally a thing now. So Wearing her hat backwards. It's just, we got the net. Um, can I actually, like, there is a, do we have time, like, for a bit of, like, actual serious use of a news? Okay, go for it. Okay, Jeff, do you remember last year we were doing our five questions for the team before last season? And one of yours that you wrote was, will the offensive line come together? How will they be better? Because they had a lot of inexperience, Mm -hmm. certainly at guard. And as we know, the offensive line was way better than we thought it was going to be, one of the best in the country. Well, obviously they lost uh, left tackle Aaron Evans. He was a senior. They lost guard Chavis Dickey. He was a senior. And now – uh, reported today by Knights 24-7 writer Juan Toribio, uh, Jake Brown has left the team, has not been at spring practice, and does not plan to transfer. It just sounds like his career is over. He has stopped playing football. Hmm. Uh, Jake Brown was at guard and then moved to left tackle for the Peach Bowl when Aaron Evans underwent surgery. So we're kind of back to where we started with this team, which is what are they going to do at guard? And now they also have a concern uh, at one of the tackle spots. Next so it's just up. something to watch. <laughs> yeah. And, and that, that, that includes uh, Tyler Hudanik and uh, Trevor Elbert who transferred in um, and a couple other guys, Sam Jackson. But again, it's sort of like it's, you could just take that article you wrote last year, change the names, put it back on the site back in next in August. Oh boy. One last, one last right, thing I have to go. do. <laughs> so uh, one, la- one last thing we want to uh, pass along. Let's go. Mer- I got first pitch here soon. Jeffrey, come on. <laughs> um, I wanted to pass along some congratulations. The to, bus is ready to leave. To, well, you can get on the bus. You're on a phone for crying out loud. Congratulations to Juan Toribio um, of uh, our oh, colleagues boy. at Knights 247, like you mentioned. Um, he announced uh, earlier today that the spring game will be his last day on the UCF beat. Starting in May, he'll be joining MLB.com to help cover the Tampa Bay Rays. So congratulations to Juan. Um, moving on up and uh, just a job well done. And uh, Ryan Bass, you have your uh, work cut out for you, finding an act to follow after that. So um, Enjoy yeah. covering a really lengthy, long, long, long year of Rays baseball. Enjoy that. <laughs> exactly. So, <laughs> all right, Elo, thanks for joining us, man. Be safe, enjoy, and we'll be listening to you from Houston. All right, guys. Uh, good to be with you. Check out blackandgo.com. My two-part series is out there. Check us out on UCFnights.com. UCF Houston. I'll be here all weekend covering the broadcast of the series. Check out the big, big series here, boys. Uh, have fun. Sounds good, man. Enjoy it. And, uh, hey, let's bring back a sweep, will you? Let's hope. I'll take two out of three. But, yeah, sweep would be great. All, all right, right, boys. Thanks. Thanks, Eric. All right, Brian. Uh, as we wrap up here, just a reminder to everyone, like Eric said, blackandgoldbanneret.com is where you want to go. Uh, Facebook.com slash blackandgoldbanneret. Make sure you drop us a like. Um, and uh, also UCF underscore banneret on Twitter. I'm at Jeff underscore Sharon. Eric's at Eric Lopez Elo. And Brian is at Spokes underscore Murphy. And Eric did mention, of course, coming up this week, actually both uh, both parts of his uh, greatest individual performances in UCF sports history columns are out. Make sure you read them. Some good long reads up in there. And uh, hit us up on our Facebook page and also on the website in the comment section for any uh, nominees that you may have that maybe we missed in our uh, in our analysis of that. Uh, Brian, what do you have coming up this week? 
Well, I uh, will go to the pro day tomorrow. I might have something off of that. I do hope to, you know, obviously the, 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 a lot of the conversation there is based around uh, the, the four guys that we think will be drafted at some aspect with Shaquem, Traquan Smith, Mike Hughes, and, and Jordan Akins. I, I kind of want to catch up a little bit also with uh, Jemias Pittman and Aaron Evans, who will be there. Mm-hmm. Um, not only because I want to see what they're up to, but like they're really good talkers. They're always good for a good quote and really fun guys. So but ask them some questions. Um, I'm probably going to have an article on the offensive lineup this weekend. Uh, you know, the Jake Brown news sort of changes things. And I want to talk to, hopefully I think talk to Wyatt Miller this week. And then I'm going to publish uh, my uh, AJ Davis story, probably on Monday, the night of the night of the national championship game in college basketball. Um, you know, we had like a big 35 minute conversation with AJ Davis last week. Um, and it was just really fun and really, he's great for sticking around that long, stood up the entire time while we asked him some questions. So I'll have a story on that, uh, Monday. Cool, man. Sounds good. So enjoy pro day tomorrow. It should be fun. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing what the guys do on pro day. I'm really looking forward to seeing what Drake went. Listen, if the giants are able to trade Odell Beckham (laughs) for, uh, for a uh, for two first rounders, they should use one of them on Traquan Smith, and I am not even close think, to joking you. You think Traquan Smith should be a first round pick? I think he has. I think he has a decent shot. I, I would actually take I, if he drops to the second round, I'll take him. But I I don't care as long as as long as he ends up on the Giants. I, I will say I saw a mock draft earlier tonight. Look, there's a thousand out there, but I saw one on TV. It may have been like ESPN or CBS that had. Mike Hughes going 31st to the Patriots. So all you Dolphin fans, I'm oh, sure, would all love they need, that. Really? Love it. God. All right. Well, nonetheless, it should be, um, it should be interesting. Keep an eye on that. for uh, And uh, Spokes underscore Murphy, you're going to be uh, tweeting from it? Uh, yeah, I'll do some tweets. I mean, we're just standing on the sideline for a couple hours. So what else am I going to do? Was a, that was a really great shuttle run that uh, Aaron Evans just did, you know. If I'm Jakeem Griffin, I am not running any 40-yard dashes tomorrow. Uh, and I, uh, yeah, you're right. I am, I am, I am <laughs> in a poker term, I am holding on that. I am. If he does, yeah, like, yeah, he, he hit a 21. Like, if he does, I'm going to be like, ask, like, so why did you do that? I'm <laughs> checking. I am checking that yeah. to the next guy. <laughs> this is great. Guys, so that should be fun. Enjoy it. I, I've seen Pro Day before, but, you know, from a different perspective, it's not as much fanfare um, as it seems to have now. So enjoy. It should be fun. Mm-hmm. Yep. Thanks, Jeff. Thank Jeff you, Brian. Thank you, Brian. And uh, as we finish up, don't forget, I'll, of course, you can uh, tell your friends about our podcast as well. We are on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and TuneIn. For Eric Lopez and Brian Murphy, I'm Jeff Sharon saying thank you so much for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. We'll catch you next week.